And uh, there's a, I just want to start with a question to you all. So you guys will have to answer in some way. Um, what do you perceive to be uh, as greatness or what's great in your life? We had the kids who were drawn with everything. Uh, Colin's going to be spoiler alert. Colin's doing some kind of like Batman jet thing. I don't even know. Um, but uh, um, in, in our lives, like what, what do we see as great? What do we see as, as wonderful? Or, and, or even like what does our culture see as great or as powerful? Um, we'd like to know your thoughts. I guess images would be one, would it? No, tell me more. What does that mean? Like images are quite powerful and they're they can be used for good and used for bad and we see society not always use images in the right way, so it becomes a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, there's a reason why celebrities are a thing, right? That's that's pretty good. Yeah. What else? I mean, what what would you see as, um, or somebody else? What what would you see as something great or um, wonderful? Big achievements. Yeah, the things that we do, we can like stick a peg in them and stick a flag in them and be like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's great. Hey, one other person, what, what's something great? Seeing somebody that's a very powerful person work in humility. That's, there's nothing more beautiful to me than that. Mm. Yeah, the... Um, yeah, the... Um, when you see someone who could take advantage of that greatness and not use it for themselves, but use it for others. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great. Well, I think our, our culture defines greatness um, in kind of all sorts of ways. And uh, whether that's going to be like celebrity status or power or comfort, comfort, what does that mean? Like might mean money, sex, all the kind of stuff that, that we look for. I think one thing is when we're anxious, when we're fearful, when we're really scared, when the world's not how it should be, like right now, um, that kind of reveals where we put our hope. That reveals what we think is great. And this story teaches us that uh, Jesus is better than anything else out there. Jesus said he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. That means he came to give us life, but not like normal life, like big, a big life, an amazing life, uh, a life full of joy, a life full of, um, full of everything we, we were kind of made for. And one that is doesn't have to be tied to our circumstances. And so um, let's just dive in here to, to this story here. Uh, we're going to look at three things of how Jesus is better. The first one is he gives us better news, which is actually probably a great um, headline for, for us today. Uh, well, Simon uh, was someone who thought he was great. He, uh, he's the guy who he didn't even, he wasn't even like falsely humble. He's like, yeah, I'm great. And you all should think I'm great. And everyone else is like, yeah, you're great. He's kind of like the guy who's younger than you, but's accomplished a lot more. He has the cash. He has the car. This guy, I can imagine, has like really white teeth, you know? Um, he's well-dressed. He's put together. He's a major influencer in the scene, the Sumerian scene. Um, he wasn't even falsely humble. That's what I think is hilarious about him. He's like, hey, I'm great. Everybody else should think so. And everyone's like, yeah, you are. And But that paled in comparison to when he heard about Jesus. Look at verse 12. So there's this great guy coming in, or, you know, air quotes, great person coming into contact with something that's even better. But when Philip, but when they believed, Philip 
as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. These are all the people who previously thought this guy Simon was amazing, like the coolest thing. And now they're hearing this better news and they want to get in on that. And then verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized, which meant Simon himself believed there was something better than him out there, which is kind of amazing. There's actually something better than us out there. I mean, we are probably a lot like Simon, aren't we? Like kind of think we're awesome. But what, what, was, uh, what was this better news? What was this good news? Well, it says, um, they believe, Philip, as you proclaim the good news, what is it of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ? The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at those two things, kingdom of God, name of Jesus Christ. Kingdom of God is just God is king overall. Uh, and this is good news because God is good and he loves you. And so if the king overall is a good king, and a king who loves you, that's amazing. That by itself, we could just spend forever amount of time thinking about. And this God is always at work for you. He's all, also, he's always at work for you to recognize his goodness because it's the best thing for you. And for you to respond to that goodness because that's the best thing for you. God is always good and he has come that people who are not good would know him. God went to the farthest lengths for us to know him. And so that brings up the second thing, Jesus Christ. From the Trinity to the earth, this is Jesus. He's existed before the world began. He's existing in the Trinity, which is it's like this perfect kind of relationship, perfect perfection, everything. To the earth, to dying, to his resurrection, to now reigning as king from heaven, giving us the Holy Spirit. Jesus has allowed everyone who is not good, which is us, to know and be known by a good God. That's what Jesus has done. A good God who's in control of all. And this kind of news, if this is, if this is true, if this is actually real. If, 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 no one has ever said, oh, it's not, it's not good enough. Like the, the gospel isn't a story that generally people aren't worried isn't good enough. They're actually worried, like, is it actually true? Because it seems too good to be true. This is better than comfort. It's better than money. It's better than power. It's better than friends, better than relationships. This isn't just like Better news for us. This is the best possible news any human in any situation could hear. So relationships, even the best ones, we will still feel lonely. We'll still feel unloved. Even if you have something that doesn't exist, which is the perfect relationship where there's never any conflict ever and you all are like perfectly loving each other in every kind of perfect way, that doesn't exist. But even if you had that, that other person doesn't actually have the power to rescue you, doesn't have the power to change your heart, doesn't have the power to, to give us what we really want as human beings, as, as amazing and great as they can be. So I would wonder um, if we could take another time of sharing. Uh, can someone possibly share uh, something that let them down recently? And I'll unmute you all. Sorry. Just think of uh, maybe something that let you down recently. There's probably a lot of us have experienced a lot of letdown recently. Um, and just, yeah, if, if uh, a few people could just share one thing that might have, that might have let them down. No pasta in the supermarket. <laughs> A world without pasta is not a world I want to live in. <laughs> what else? <laughs> no one else has been let down by anything? Yeah, I guess that's fun. Um, well, we, we saw that Cameron would um, be in the nursery because I'm a key worker, but it turns out they're shut anyway. So... Andy and I are like tag teaming the babysitting, so it's just um, 
inspired. <laughs> so that was the last time. Yeah. 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 And then probably, I mean, what, like the, so I'm going to mute you all in again. Um, the, uh, I mean, jobs in the future, uh, I mean, James with academics and Will with academics, like all, all the like all the kind of normal institutional structures that seem to be kind of going fine and aren't perfect, but seem generally to be going fine. Like they're just kind of not really going fine anymore. Um, and that's yeah, that's a huge letdown. Things we actually didn't realize we were relying on. Just I mean, who would have ever thought that um, all of a sudden like a nursery would would close? We don't really think that when we go about a normal day. Well, everything, really, everything is going to let us down in some way or another, except for what God offers. And, and even Simon, who seemed to be the most powerful person, or at least like the person everyone was looking up to, um, even he was nothing in light of this amazing news. So Jesus is better news. What we also see is Jesus's community is uh, better than any other option that we have out there. Uh, Jesus seeks after all kinds of people. Jesus is seeking after, I mean, just he's a sorcerer. What does that mean? I don't really know. But he's doing some, like professor of dark arts kind of thing. And he's a Samaritan. Like if you were a Jew, a Samaritan was like this weird kind of offshoot thing that um, like people who live different ways, culturally different, they probably functionally were ethnically different, even though they were ethnically the same. They're like the very different. They lived, they worshiped a different place. They just kind of didn't really, those two, they didn't match with each other. But these Samaritans get the Holy Spirit. And it's as, and as everyone else who follows Jesus, they get the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is just not some kind of like benign person who comes to the party and is uh, equally as cool if you want to talk to him as you would if you would not. He's kind of like the guy who's hanging out, he's having a drink in the background, and like, he's cool. Oh, you want to chat? Yeah, that's good. If you don't want to chat, oh, that's fine. I'm cool too with, you know, like the Birkenstock sandals kind of hippie Jesus version. He's not the weird dude who's lurking in the background at these parties. He's actively seeking people out from all kinds of backgrounds, including Samaria. And this should uh, remind us of in the very beginning in Acts 1, when the Holy Spirit came on God's people, G- or Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit that was going to come on God's people. Acts 1.8 said this, this is Jesus's promise to his people, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, which is where we're going now and to the ends of the earth, which is where Acts eventually gets eventually. And this is the church made up of people who we wouldn't normally seek out on our own. Uh, in a time where we organize ourselves with people who are just like us in every possible way, politically, class, um, ethnically, language, like all the kind of things, this is a better community because it's not limited by who, who we want in and who we want out. Now, um, just a bit of a sidebar here. Uh, let's look at verses 15 and 16. And this has come up before, but I think it's an important thing. Um, the verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. These are the apostles who were coming from Jerusalem, going into this, this Samaritan place. When they arrived, these new believers, they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So just this is, I think, an important thing of uh, talking about where Acts is and where we are as God's people. Here, 
the Holy Spirit didn't come on people until the laying on of hands. And not just kind of anybody, but the apostles, the capital A kind of apostles, the capital A apostles versus your average everyday apostle, like people who are leaders in the church or whatever now. Capital A apostles, there is very strict, and we talked about this, I think, in the first sermon, was people who were with Jesus before his resurrection and after. So, I mean, that's like actually, like actually with him on earth or people who experienced him. Um, so here the Holy Spirit didn't come on to the laying on hands of these apostles. But later, when Peter was with people who weren't Jews, which are called Gentiles, Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jewish person, no hands were needed. So look at this at um, Acts 10, 44 through 46. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, and this is um, Peter speaking to the Gentiles, to people who are not Jewish, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, no laying on hands. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, the people who weren't Jewish. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, all the things that in Acts accompany the Holy Spirit coming on people. So what's the deal here? Can someone follow Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit? Can he be baptized into Jesus and actually not have the Holy Spirit? Well, what we're seeing here is an overlap between two worlds. You have the old world on one side, the old covenant. This is the Old Testament. And you have the new world over here, which is where we live now. When the Holy Spirit came in, uh, in Pentecost, this was the beginning of the new way of doing things. And Pentecost and Acts is uh, a fuzzy overlap between that old world and the new world. The old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. And Acts is kind of this, this fuzzy overlap between the two of those things. So for, for us today, we don't live in that fuzzy overlap because the time of Pentecost, like the time of Acts is, is over. Pentecost isn't over, it continues, but now we're only in the new. There is no old. There is no overlap. The old is done away with and completely over with. We don't need the apostles to lay hands on us to get the Holy Spirit. And that's a good thing because none of them are alive today to be able to do that. Now, when we first started talking about Acts, we talked about the difference between these two things, descriptive and prescriptive. So is at, what parts of Acts are just describing the early church and what part of Acts is prescribing the normal way that the church today in a time after the capital A kinds of apostles should act? Uh, what is what is just describing like a history book, giving us a story of God's people, what is telling us exactly how to act? And it takes time and study to kind of sort out those two things, descriptive and prescriptive. And this came up in Acts 2 and Pentecost when uh, we, saw, we saw the fuzzy overlap there, where 120 people had to wait to receive the Holy Spirit, but then 3,000 people received it immediately. So there's a weird kind of fuzzy overlap thing that the Holy Spirit's acting here. And there's reasons uh, people have thoughts on why um, this overlap works in different kinds of ways than others. We don't have time to get into all that, but we can talk about that maybe after the service is over. We can always do a Q&A for any kind of cues that you might have. But know this, for us today, for anyone who follows Jesus, you are baptized in the Spirit. You don't have to follow Jesus, then be really good, and the Spirit comes on you. You don't have to follow Jesus, and maybe eventually, like, the Spirit might come on you. You have the Spirit if you follow Jesus. 
That's how it works. It's a, it's a, a one-time thing. It's not something that you work at. It's a gift that God's given us. Now, not everyone's going to have the same experience. Some people will speak in tongues. Some people are not. Some people will have kind of extraordinary kinds of, uh, kinds of experiences. Many people, like myself mostly, um, will have very kind of normal like, experiences. It doesn't have to be, I mean, extraord- extraordinary, extraordinary means not everyone is going to experience it. And if we, again, if you think back to, the, to Pentecost, 120 people had the gift of tongues. 3,000 people didn't. So 4% of that early church had these extraordinary kind of powers. Extraordinary does not mean normal as much as we want to experience extraordinary all the time during our day to day. But if you are in Christ, you are in the Holy Spirit, and we all have the same spirit. And this is actually what Paul is getting to in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And this is writing to the church at Corinth. For we all, Paul, the church, everybody in the church, not just people who are experiencing things and who are not, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, again, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, whether slave or free, it doesn't matter what your class background is, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So that means that there's no kind of first-class, second-class Christians. That means there isn't a, uh, am I going to experience the Holy Spirit one day because I'm following Jesus now? Like, no, you have the Spirit. He's in you. He's empowering you. So uh, I want to break there for questions because I can, I can imagine um, there'd be a lot of questions on this. I'm going to unmute everybody. But if you aren't speaking, if you could uh, mute yourself so it doesn't get super loud for everybody. Yeah. So, what? Uh, what? Que- any kind of questions or clarifying questions you might have for, on that? You don't have to have them, but if you do, <laughs> um, I guess. I guess for me, I I can remember believing in Jesus, but I can remember an actual point where. I felt that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was a definite change in my in my relationship. So even though I believed in Him, it it, it didn't actually immediately come to being able to see Him in the Spirit, as it were, somehow. And it wasn't it wasn't a you know blinding flash of light or a you know whatever. It was more to do with reading the scripture and reading who Jesus is and how he, how he does his stuff. And then an actual, an actual sort of probably a yielding of my heart. And then the spirit said, yeah, okay, you know, this is how it is. (laughs) So it wasn't, it was quite a gentle sort of process, but I can actually remember over the course of about three or four days when I, when that revelation actually came to me. So um, you know, and then a lot of people were saying, oh, no, you, you got it when you got baptised and you got it here. And they're all telling me when I should have got the Holy Spirit, but it was a bit sort of, you know, being a young Christian, I never really understood it. Um, so I just, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know whether anybody else has had that sort of similar experience that, that you're being discipled by other people who are telling you what's happening to you and they don't really understand it or know what's going on. So, so that's my experience of it, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Does any, does anyone else have kind of similar? I mean, that's that's very common. Um, anyone else have kind of similar experience to that at all? Can relate. Yeah. What? What? I think. Um, sorry, just gonna um, mute everybody again. Uh, the uh, 
Yeah, I think I think that's I that's I have talked to so many people who have similar experiences to that. I think there's a, when um, I think when we're ascribing. I think we have to be careful when we're ascribing exactly what's happening to our experiences. So is it, I mean, so there's a difference between baptism in the spirit and being filled with the spirit. Being filled with the spirit is kind of an ongoing thing. Sometimes we feel more filled, less filled. Um, and when, uh, especially when we're newer believers, sometimes that can be a more intense experience. Sometimes it's kind of like, what, what does the experience of conversion feel like? Like, uh, uh, who, who knows? Like, I mean, for, C.S. Lewis, it was like during a, a, I think a walk in the woods or something. And the beginning of the walk, he wasn't a believer. At the end of the walk, he was a believer. He didn't really kind of know exactly what the point in time was. So yeah, I don't want to be another one of those people who's like, this is exactly kind of what what you were experiencing. But um, whether it was like that was actual conversion or whether that was being filled with the spirit. But what the Bible tells us is, is when we uh, when we are converted, we are baptized into the Spirit. Like it's just a one to one thing. We, now our experiences will be different with that. In fact, I've talked to people who have been believers for a really long, like multiple years and decades, um, but then they had like another subsequent experience where it felt like the Holy Spirit really was working in them and, and um, totally changed them in a way that was completely new. I wouldn't call that baptism because I would say they were probably believers beforehand. Um, to be a believer is to be baptized in the Spirit. Uh, there, but uh, there's some level of um, of our own kind of experiences, and that might be the difference between baptism in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, which is an ongoing kind of thing that we're called to— that we're uh, called to seek after, but also we're passive recipients of. So we're called to be filled by the Spirit in, in the Bible, um, but we're also— uh, passive recipients of, of when that filling kind of happens. So I don't know if that helps at all, but um, I think sometimes it can be a bit, um, uh, sometimes it, the reason why I think this is an important point is because it gets to assurance for us as Christians. Like, am I really a Christian? Do I really have the spirit? And what the Bible is very clear about is if you believe and follow Jesus, then yes, you have the spirit. You can, you can be assured of that. And, um, whether or not like we have we'll have higher and lower like levels of filling by that spirit depending on you know how god is working how we're pressing into him but uh but we can be assured that if if we are choosing to follow jesus that he's not withholding anything from us that he's not saying oh maybe one day you'll get a kid but he's uh he's actively there um, inside of us, empowering us to live the way that he wants to. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Hopefully it is, Kathleen. I think some of it's kind of like, this is actually what I love about Acts. There is um, the, uh, everyone has different experiences with the Holy Spirit working. You can't say this is the one way the Holy Spirit works. Like sometimes it's laying on hands. Sometimes people are speaking tongues. Sometimes it's like people just believe and they go on. And sometimes it means people are like going to other countries. Sometimes it means people are persecuted and they have to go to other countries. Sometimes it means people stay right there at the home. This is like this crazy. Uh, there's no kind of single method of this is the one experience to have as a Christian. And this is the one experience to have of the Christian life. It's kind of like a multiplicity of it. Um, and so hopefully that's more reassuring than not, because that means we can all have kind of different experiences, um, when it comes to the spirit. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that our different experiences don't degrade, like what the Bible says, 
uh, and how we think about our own kind of life of assurance of, of who we are in Jesus. So I don't know, hopefully that's helpful. If, um, if you have more questions, we're going to continue on, but if you have more questions about this, this is a great kind of topic and we can talk about them uh, after the service if you guys want. But I'm going to go back to uh, the thing here. I'm halfway not believing that this is actually all working because there's so many moving parts here, but there we go. God is good. Right. So going back to this uh, better community thing uh, and away from the sidebar, even maybe the sidebar was the point itself. I don't know. Uh, but this better community, just think again of Jewish people would never interact with Samaritans. And the people that we would never interact with, maybe we don't try and um, avoid them, but if we're at the same pub, we're not going to go up to them and like have a chat or something like that. Because we are stuck in classism, we're stuck in ageism, we're stuck in this kind of sameism. If you listen to this music, then you're cool. If not, then you're not cool. If you follow this political leader, you're cool. If not, then you're not cool. Or, or you know, I'm only going to be friends with someone who doesn't have a dry cough or whatever the thing might be right now. But Jesus invites all of us, yes, those even with dry coughs, to be part of his kingdom. Everybody. The way that God works his kingdom on earth is through the church which is kind of ridiculous because we've we've been, if you've been part of the church for any amount of time you know how kind of not great plan that can be sometimes but that's what we see over and over and over in acts it's all about the church it's all about the church growing the church advancing and the church was not and never will be perfect the side of heaven like we've already covered uh, a few of these areas in acts where things haven't worked out very well and if you read the new testament the reason why we have the majority in the new testament was because people were having problems in their church and other people had to write and say, hey, don't do that. Don't sleep with this person. Don't you know, do these other kind of things. Don't work in your own power. All the kind of things that we do in our churches were still going on then. People were sleeping with other people they weren't married to, people who say they follow Jesus but act with empty religion, people who don't love others well, and yet through this imperfect community, God has put his stake in the ground saying, I will advance my kingdom through my church. It's not something I would have picked, but thankfully, you know, God might know a thing or two more than me. So that means God's kingdom is not some esoteric thing in the sky that we can abstractly think about. It's here. It's now. Down here, on this street, although as long as you're, you know, two meters away from everybody, in our houses, through Zoom chats, in our relationships with each other. Church is not an event, thankfully, because events have been canceled. Church is not a building, thankfully, because our pub, our building is, is locked up church is a people. And as we say at Redeemer, we're a gospel-formed family on mission. And that's the better community that we get to be a part of when we're won over by Jesus's better news and join him uh, and join his family, the church. Now, this means also that uh, we will get hurt by the church. There's one guarantee. You will get hurt by the church, just like a relationship. You will be hurt in relationships. If we're vulnerable to people, we will be hurt. And I, mean, I spoke to somebody recently that was talking about this and was just kind of like almost fed up with it. And, and I can totally relate, especially as a leader. I can totally relate because people will talk about you all the time and you'll hear about it afterwards. It's kind of like how it works. But yet, even in this kind of imperfect and broken kind of thing, Jesus is there and Jesus is working there. And I think for me, it's been really encouraging to hear stuff on the church WhatsApp group where people need help. And before I can even look at the message where people need help, it's been answered like multiple times over. <laughs> like there's been more help offered than even needed. I really love that. And these are kind of small ways that we're trying to be this community to each other in this kind of weird time. 
I mean, other ways is I think right now, especially, we really need to pray for each other. You will have more time now to pray than you have before because you're not doing anything at night um, other than watching Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever the thing is or um, doing a, uh, a pub quiz Zoom call. That I think we, that we really need to be talking to God uh, for each other. Yeah, and you can just open WhatsApp and look at the list of the people who are in the WhatsApp group and pray through the names. You could pray that we would see Jesus as better news than anything else in our power. I mean, there's good things to pray for in circumstance, but to pray even like above that. To pray that we would be won over by Jesus' better news. To pray that we would prioritize the church family's needs over our own. To pray that we would love others who aren't in the church well. And what great opportunities we have now to do that. I mean, those three prayers, we all need that. I need it. I need you all to be praying for me just as much as you need everyone else to be praying for you. So I think let's just try and keep at it. Uh, because we need it. And this is something that a gospel form family does for each other. Now, more than ever, we need to, we need to go to it now more than ever. So after we decide to follow Jesus, we hear this better news and to be part of his family and to part of this better community. Um, now what, well, what do we see in this story? Well, we see a better way to live. Jesus' spirit gives us a better way to live. Uh, Being used by the spirit is basically what this is all about. And what we see is first is actually the opposite of that. If we look at verse 18, um, Simon, remember, Simon likes this boastful thing. He likes the power thing. Simon is attempting to use the spirit instead of being used by the spirit. Uh, Verse 18 and following, he's doing that. Uh, And he's Simon here. He's just been converted, just been baptized. He's a card-carrying member of the first church of Samaria. But surprise, he's not perfect. He's a lot like us. He still has those old ways, those old customs of his old life hanging on. And in my experience as a pastor, this is at 100% everyone's experience, including my own. Simon's small mission was to get the power. That's what he's used to. I want the power so I can be seen as great and other people can see me as great. That's really important for him. But Peter is very quick to set him right. And this is where confrontation done in a biblical way, in a Christian way, is an act of love. Let's look at verse 21. It says, uh, Peter, he doesn't mince words, just Peter, he, he tells it how it is. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. He says, your heart is not right before God, not before others. That's what, that's what um, Philip is all about, is before God. That's what Peter's caring about. And so how to change? Well, Peter then, verse 22, he says, repent, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. So what does repent mean? Repent can be kind of a churchy word. Uh, repent is just an about face. It's a change of direction. It's like doing a 180. We were going this way on our small missions, trying to get the power, trying to have others see us, trying to get the comfort, wherever the thing might be, we all have our things. Um, and now we say we're sorry, but more than just saying we're sorry to God or maybe to others if we wrong them, uh, we go the other way. We do something that's different. We change our behavior. We change our direction. Martin Luther when he wrote his famous 95 theses that he nailed to the wall, uh, to the door, the first one was this. He said, when our Lord Jesus Christ said, repent, here uh, Peter is, is quoting Jesus. When our Lord Jesus said, repent, he meant that the whole of the Christian life should be repentance. It's not something that we do once a week or like once a year or once in a lifetime. It's something that we're constantly involved in over and over and over again. So Simon's mission, get the power, get the influence, be awesome. Our mission might be similar. It might be get the comfort, get the safety, get the pasta, get the toilet roll, whatever the thing is, get the security. 
But apart from Jesus, our mission will always be self-centered. Always. That's just how it is. That's how we live. And everything else in our life is set up that way. If what we're doing doesn't get us the things we want, comfort, power, sex, security, whatever the thing is, we won't do it. And therefore, we're going to lead a very small life, a very selfish life. Living out of our own small missions will not lead us to do difficult things. Living out of our own small missions will not empower us to live in the way that Jesus calls us to. And Jesus frees us from our small missions and saves us to his mission. And when we find ourselves on our own paths, as we all will do, straying from Jesus, we do a 180. We repent. We say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I don't want to go down my own path. I want to follow you on your path. And oftentimes, we need others like Peter telling us this. We need people who are going to say, look, man, that path you're going down there, it's not, you shouldn't be doing that. Where are you going? You're just following yourself. You're not following Jesus. Jesus is over here. You're doing this thing over here. We need other people in our lives telling us this. And that's what makes this a better, this community a better way to live. And Jesus' mission is one that is always connected to his community. His community is always on his mission. They're interlocked. They're, they're connected together. It's kind of like if you want to join two pieces of wood together, there's one way to do it. And that's through a simple joint like this. Uh, Colin thought it was hilarious because it was called a butt joint, which I think is kind of funny too. Um, so you just you just have two pieces of wood, you glue them together. That's how that's how it works. That's how it works together. And there are lots of of, of other kind of different joints out there. I'm not a woodworker, but I know there's other joints out there. But I do know a thing or two about guitars. And here's a joint that's um, very common in high end guitars, and that is if I can get there. There it is. That's a, called a dovetail joint. And lower myself here. So you see how these pieces are interlocked with each other. There's piece here, here. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of connection. There's not just one line of connection. There's multiple lines of connection. It brings together two different pieces. For a guitar, this joint is the best because... Uh, sorry, because... Oh, man, I just lost it. Where are we at here? I'm losing it. I told you it wasn't going to work eventually, and now it worked. Ah, there's the joint. I'll keep it on there. Uh, for a guitar, this kind of joint is the best because it's stronger and the sound is most vibrant. It's stronger because there's more connections. The more connections you make, the stronger the joint's going to be. And the stronger the joint is, the more the sound can resonate as in one piece of wood instead of multiple pieces of wood put together. And so if you think of this kind of joint, one side's mission, the other side's community, the more connections we have between them, the stronger it is, the more seamless it is, the more vibrant it is. And this is the kind of life that we were made for. It's a better way to live, used by the Spirit, instead of trying to use the Spirit. And so I think we can all be like Simon, wanting to use Jesus or the church for our own ends. We all want to meet our own needs first before anyone else's. We all want to feel superior in some ways to others, even if we do it in kind of a humble, braggy kind of way. We, a lot of us feel the need to tick off the God box in our hearts. If I do this, then I'm good with you, God, right? And move on with our other stuff. Now, these are all ways that we try and use the Spirit instead of being used by Him. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you all, where in your life do you find yourself attempting to use the Spirit instead of being used by Him? Now, that's a kind of a big question. And uh, maybe you're like, do I really want to share that with everybody? <laughs> um, but it'd be great if one person could share. But while you're thinking about that or maybe mustering up the courage, here's uh, one way that I do that. So as a pastor, when I find myself in ministry instead of in Christ, 
is what is common for every single... I don't know any pastor who doesn't struggle with that. That's a way that I try and use the Spirit for my own ends. Being in ministry, having that my focus, having that my priority means if the church is doing well, I'm doing well. And if I'm not, then I'm not. And it's when I use the church for my own sense of worth and meaning instead of use the worth and meaning I have in Christ to serve the church. That's total two different things. And if you're successful in ministry... People generally don't have a problem with you being in ministry instead of in Christ. People generally don't have a problem with you putting priority first in ministry instead of Jesus. But that's a horrible way to live, and that's a horrible way to lead people. That's a horrible way to be a pastor, but yet it happens all the time. So I want to leave uh, some space for you all, because I would love for um, one person maybe to share. I'll unmute you in a second and mute myself. Uh, So again, here's the question. Um, where might be a way that you feel tempted to use the spirit instead of be used by the spirit in your life? I've been thinking about it and I'm trying to f- figure out that distinction of what, what in my life am I trying to use it? There's lots of things where I am trying to like, control, like control God. I want him to do things my way, like having two kids at home, not being able to go out, like having health issues with little six week old here. Like I just want God to make it all okay. <laughs> and I want I just wanna be be like, oh okay, my family is nice, put together, we're happy. Like I don't have screaming tantrums from any any of the four of us that there can be a screaming tantrum. But like I I I feel like I want God to do it my way rather than just releasing and saying, God, this is the situation we're in. Just guide us through it in the way that you want us to do it. Is, is that what you're, is, is that answer the question? I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> no, Liz, that's, um, yeah, that's great. And thank you for sharing. I, I feel that's exactly it. I mean, I, I think all of us are in that in some way right now. I mean, we're probably all like that in some way anyway. But especially now, all of us are just like, God, can you, can't you just change the circumstances and we just kind of get stuck in that loop. Um, and we all have different kind of difficulties going on. And the more difficult the circumstance, the more easy it is, I think, to kind of get stuck into that. But to ask a different question uh, instead of a, I guess, really, um, it's a difference between demanding God to work in the way that you want him to versus asking him, where are you in this? Like, God, where are you in this right now? Which is a total different way of interacting. One is, is a, uh, a wannabe master to a slave hey, I need you to fix this thing. Go ahead, do it. I'll be back in five hours, have the report on my desk ready to go. Um, And the other one is realizing we're actually like the created being. God is actually God. He's, I mean, we just sang a song. He's maker of heaven and earth that comes from Psalm 121 that we talked about in in our missional community. Um, And to ask, this is how it is, Lord. What are you up to in that? Which is a difficult thing, especially if you're going through suffering. Because um, we, I mean, it's not a bad thing to want your sufferings relieved. Let me just say that. That's a great thing, and we can, and we should always pray for that. But if we're not asking God what he's up to in that, um, then we're, we're probably missing him and what he's doing. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing, Liz, with that. Um, maybe uh, the last little section here. Um, there are two glorious things about being in Christ instead of being versus being in anything else, being, um, 
in our, our own kind of uh, our own world, being in our own self-centered ways, being in our own career, being in, I mean, people's jobs are in question or, I mean, or even worse than that. I mean, all sorts of things we can be in and all those things will let us down. But there are two glorious things about being in Christ first, instead of being in anything else. The first one is that you are freed. You don't have to be a slave to that circumstance, that job, that passion, that emotion, that person. If Jesus is the highest priority in your life, that means we get to be connected to the one who loves us and always has our back. Always. That will never not be true. That is always true. And and because of that, we get to be free. But more than that, we are freed for others. So when you're free, that means you get to be the best for others, the best partner, the best worker, the best colleague, the best parent. So it's the best thing for us to be in Christ, and it's the best thing for other people to be in Christ as well. I mean, how amazing. It's kind of like, man, I wonder if God set it up that way. You think maybe he did? That's actually the best thing for us and the best thing for others. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean um, it's easy to remember. It doesn't mean it's going to be the first thing we do. That doesn't mean the path isn't going to be without its own difficulties. Um, But it does mean that uh, that we, we do get a better way to live being in Jesus. And the only way we can have a better way to live is uh, uh, the only way this better news really is better is because Jesus made it true. Jesus didn't wish it to be true. He wasn't like a model of look like this could be true if we work this way. Jesus made it come true. Jesus' mission was to unburden the burdened, was to de-worry the worried, to take the fears and anxieties of the world that we carry all the time and that we have and legitimate that they are, take all of them that we carry and to place them upon his own back to place them at his feet, because he can handle it. We can't handle it. He can, and he wants to, because he loves us. And Jesus died so that when we do need to tell God that we're sorry, to do that 180 kind of repenting thing, we can actually be truly forgiven. And that burden of guilt or that shame, that's not on our back anymore either. It's not a part of us anymore. Jesus rose again so that we don't have to live in our own power anymore. We get to live through his resurrection power. And so he died and rose again for his family, his community, the church, for all of us here, all of us who are able to look at our individual um, pictures here. And this is the kind of news that makes people drop what they put their hope in and look to Jesus. This is the kind of news that you're like, wow, I thought this thing was great. I thought this person was great. But that is something more amazing than I can even think of. It's kind of mind-blowing how great it is. It's the kind of news that um, makes people change their lives. It's when when we get to see how amazing this Jesus really truly is, how amazing his kingdom is, that that changes us because Jesus has won it for us. And when we follow him, we get to be in Christ before anything else. And that frees us to be the best version of ourselves and also the best version for others. So I'm into that.